you know, because I always like walk to like the top of the street because like I like just like walk a second before I start. Sure. And there is just this man and it is 6 a.m., 6 o'clock in the morning. He is dancing in the middle of my street, just going like waving his arms and stopping and then shimming his shoulders, (laughs) opening his coat, closing his coat. 6 a.m., the middle of Goodwood Road. He's drunk or he's he was jamming out? Something. He's on something. Oh, definitely. Fun. He was wild. Um, doing like a little bit of the lean, you know. Oh, so, yeah. So saw him. I was like, wow, okay. And then I, I'm on my run. I turn a corner. I almost run into a deer. <laughs> a deer. And I go, whoa. And I stop. And the deer runs across the street. Four more deer are waiting for oh, You scared it. Family of them. A whole it, flock of deer. <laughs> so I like had this experience. I obviously had a very busy day after that, so I completely forgot about it. That's wild. Then I was driving over here, and then I started, I was like, you know, voice text Casey. And I was like, Casey, I forgot to tell you about this crazy thing that happened today at 6 a.m. <laughs> so anyways. That was my morning. Almost ran into a deer. <laughs> and a homeless man. But we're not here to talk about that. No, we're here to talk about history. On the front With Katie. And Allie. This is a podcast where we talk about famous women in history. We talk about good women and bad women and fictional women and non-fictional women from all times and places because women have nuance. But keep in mind, we are drinking the entire time. And we are not historians. Definitely not. No, we do a lot of good research. I watched an HBO documentary this week. And it was so good and free on YouTube. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. Um, Mine was just a lot of Wikipedia. And yeah, yeah, this was like there wasn't a whole lot on my personnel. I was really Mm. disappointed about that because she's very sad. Cool. Great and important. <laughs> Great. I hate it when that happens when I you're know. like, I know there's more, but I just don't know where I it is. And I have three days yeah. <laughs> to get this done. Um, Today was one of those days where I was doing research up to the last minute. Mm-hmm. It was just like a very busy week. Yep, I know. <laughs> I was like, it was, it was crazy. Um, Okay, so do you, I, you're busy. <laughs> we know that. For sure. Because we're busy. So you're also busy doing research up to the last minute on God knows what. (laughs) But it's important. (laughs) It's so, so important. You're getting last minute research in before Women's History Month is about to start. Yes. Because this is going to air on Women's History Month Eve. Oh, okay. (laughs) Next Friday is Women's History Month. So you're getting some last minute research in. So you don't have time to look up. These no. women. So we're going to describe what they look like so you can have a picture in your mind while we're telling their story. We're going to get a little physical, physical. Allie, who are you doing and what does she look like? Well, I'm doing Ann Richards. <laughs> and Ann Richards is typically pictured as an older woman. There are some young pictures of her that are just precious. <laughs> Prash. But um, she has this big smile and usually a red lip with vibrant blue eyes, short, curly white hair piled on top of her head, um, and always a bright colored power suit mm. and a string of pearls. I feel like she is giving like Hillary Clinton vibes. Oh, she imbibes. She imbibes. In embodies. She embodies the like Southern liberal Democrat. Yeah, I, I love, love her. <laughs> the one Southern liberal I Democrat. <laughs> the one. Uh, so I am doing Edith Kanaka Ole. 
Edith was a Hawaiian woman with a round face, crescent moon-shaped eyes, deep laugh lines, and a wide mouth. She had long, dark hair and typically wore a hakule, or um, that's like what the Hawaiian flower crown is called, um, on top of her head. She wore long, flowing dresses and could typically be seen outside engaging in hula, which was her life's mission. Oh, okay. (laughs) Are you ready to know what you're drinking? Yes. This is called She's the Lone Star in that Ah! state. (laughs) (laughs) And it is like two ounces of tequila, (laughs) lime juice, a sparkling water, any flavor that you choose. You pour it over ice, kind of stir it together, and then you top it with uh, Ann Richards hair whipped cream. (laughs) This is our second hair whipped cream of the season. I actually love the like sweet and salty of oh, this yeah. or like sweet and sour, I guess, of this cocktail. Mm-hmm. Like I didn't know how this like almost like near margarita was going to be with a whipped cream on it. Yeah, but, there's like, no salt. No, just- there's no salt. Just whipped cream. And I actually really like it. Well, also tequila gives me the phantom salt. Oh, yeah. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Because mm-hmm. that's how I'm used to having it. I saw tequila cream in the liquor store today. Excuse me. And I almost bought it wow i know wow <laughs> okay just to put in a cocktail because i feel like i've had the same ingredients for a while now and i was like i need to invest in like a couple more cocktail ingredients i need to get crazy mm-hmm. <laughs> i saw like some uh like mixed watermelon cocktail today and i was like not yet not yet not quite maybe this yet. summer yeah <laughs> <laughs> okay so tell me what you know about ann richards so I know that she was the governor of Texas, governess Yee-haw. of Texas. <laughs> um, and really, that's all I know. Because cool. as you deduced in the kitchen earlier, I literally only know who she is because she guest starred on an episode of King of the Hill. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, and I mm-hmm. thought to myself, she must be pretty cool to like agree to do this. <laughs> She's very, very cool. Especially because in she has like a love story in yeah. the episode with the show's like most like hot mess character. <laughs> so I was like, okay, she must be pretty cool. I don't know anything about her. I don't know anything about her politics. Um, but You're yeah. going to like her. You're going to like her. Yeah, I was telling Katie in the kitchen uh, off mic <laughs> I was, when she brought up the only reason I know who she is and I finished her sentence is because she was on king of the hill when i saw that fact on wikipedia i was like god damn it i am learning about this famous woman because of king of the hill that's so stupid but thank you king of the hill for that Mm. we appreciate you because i'm glad i know about this woman now so the research i used was surprisingly not king of the hill um her wikipedia page is fine but again it's a politician one so it's blow by blow so it's Mm. so boring and doesn't get into the nitty-gritty but in like 2016 ish hbo maybe later than that hbo put out a documentary about her life it's 144 minutes and it is free on youtube so i highly suggest going to watch it because she has such good rhetoric that me repeating it is not as great as listening (laughs) you know it's like reading in maya angelou poem you just sound like a dummy (laughs) and she is so great and richards is so great okay Let's get going. Anne was born Dorothy Ann Richards in Lacey Lakeview, Texas, which is near Waco, September 1st, 1933. 33? Yeah. She's almost 100. Yeah, man. She's dead now, but. Oh. Mm-hmm. Sorry, <laughs> Anne. Bye, Anne. That was not one of the two facts I knew about her. <laughs> <laughs> but, okay, so she would have been almost 100. Yes. 
So she was an only child of Robert Willis and Mildred Warren. Her family came from nothing. She was like a real and true, like poor Texas girl. She wore the potato sack dresses. Like when mm-hmm. her mom went and bought potatoes from the store, she would buy the ones with the like flowers next to the logo. Mm-hmm. So like she would have like a cute little outfit. She participated in Girl Scouts. Her dad was a great man. Only finished eighth grade, you know, so she really is like in a struggling family. But he was joyful and I shouldn't say but. And he was joyful, uh, loved to laugh, told her she could be anything she wanted to be as long as she worked hard for it. Her mom, during her childhood, gave her diction lessons and expression lessons because she wanted her to be able to speak um, with her accent, but clearly. Yeah. You know, it's giving Sandra Day O'Connor vibes. Yes. Mm-hmm. That's exactly right. Her mm-hmm. with her changing the tire on her pickup yeah. truck <laughs> on the farm after and making five sandwiches. Yeah. Five. <laughs> I know. She was like a teenager. That's okay. So she graduates from Waco High School and spent a ton of time while there in speech and debate team because she just loves speaking which is most people's biggest fear is speaking in public and it's all she wants to do and she's good at it so she attended baylor university on a debate team scholarship and earned a bachelor's degree Hmm. but then she married really young as you did back then she said that all she ever hoped for in high school was to go on to be a teacher so she became an early 20s suburban housewife with four kids and really limited options for women at the time her four kids were cecile daniel clark and ellen she was a host a cook a chauffeur for her kids a pta mom of you know drive my kids to piano and dance and karate and soccer and every other thing that you're supposed to do as a mom of four you know and a suburban housewife yeah Her husband, Dave Richards, they were soulmates of the mind. Mm. He's a lawyer and they have a hobby of discussing politics together. Just like some couples like to go golfing. They're like, let's sit and talk about, I don't know, philosophy, (laughs) politics, rhetoric, whatever. (laughs) Let's really get into it. The (laughs) nitty gritty. Um, But they lived in Dallas and Dallas is such a right wing city. And it was like shortly after like JFK is assassinated. So it's kind of like marked as the city of hate. Mm -hmm. So the family decides to move to Austin. And as we know, Austin is like one of the most liberal places in it's Texas. Just a little weird. <laughs> it's just not normal. But she um, goes on to get her teaching degree there at the University of Texas and in Austin and taught high school. She taught history or at a junior high school. She taught history. And she started to really like follow and get involved in helping out for in campaigns for liberal and progressive politicians in Austin. The couple hoped they could bring change to Texas. Dave understood people's oppression. And as a lawyer, he fought for their civil rights and like stood up for them. And they were also teaching their four kids about human rights awareness, which is really great because their eldest daughter ends up becoming the president of Planned Parenthood. What? So cool. Can you believe that Cecile Richards is the was the president of Planned Parenthood? Could currently be the president. What a legacy! Mm-hmm. I love. And you again, you would never ever expect a governor of Texas's daughter to 
to do to want to do that That's oh yeah so cool. there are so many quotes of hers that i couldn't figure out what to make <laughs> the title of the cocktail so <laughs> like there are some coming up that i was like damn somebody yeah. from texas said that mm-hmm. shit sorry texas i'm so blanketing so, yeah. i'm blanketing you i'm so sorry we're but stereotyping this is what the rest of the country thinks i, <laughs> I just you sh- <laughs> just so you know it's okay we got our own stereotypes here in baltimore so <laughs> in where <laughs> We understand. We get it. We get it. Okay. They became the center of attention in political Austin. So Anne would curse like a sailor, and she hosted (laughs) parties, and she danced, and she drank, and she was wild. Austin's music scene is developing, and they're going to concerts and sit-ins and love-ins and defending conscientious objectors during the war. And she kept saying to all of her male friends, one of you boys should run for politics. We need more people like you in politics. And they stopped and said, why not you, Anne? So she did! So finally, it's 1976, and Anne runs for a county election. She ran against um, a three-term incumbent for, like, the Travis County Commissioner Court or something. It's mm-hmm. real, a real small-time thing. But then was reelected in 1980, um, just four years later, with 81% of the vote. People mm-hmm. liked her. She was doing a good job. Um, she worked to bring in more women and worked to get more liberal people involved in Texas mm-hmm. politics. But during this time, her marriage ended. And it's sad because she acknowledges in later interviews that ultimately her taking political office is what ended her marriage. She hoped it wouldn't. But at that time, a woman going to work and like full time male style work where you go in early and you stay late and you dedicate your entire self to it. She said they loved each other so much, but she was stretched too thin and their affection is what failed in that in those moments that really sucks because it kind of feels like like we cover these stories all the time but like if a man did that like it wouldn't be a problem weird it wouldn't be seen as a problem right you know like i feel like people see when a woman does it as like her abandoning her family Mm -hmm. (laughs) right and and so it just didn't work for them yeah it which sucks because they're both so progressive i know too yeah Right around this time, Anne's drinking became a lot worse. So she decided that she was going to seek treatment for alcoholism. So she picks up her family, her kids, and goes to Minnesota for rehab. And rehab was a death sentence for a political career or even a person back then. It was like you became this social pariah. People didn't see alcoholism as a disease. They Mm. were just like, what is your problem? Why can't you put the drink down? And she said for the first time at this rehab clinic, she saw herself and she saw that what she could be if she got on the straight and narrow. So it's 1982. She's back in Texas. And the state treasurer had become swamped in legal troubles. Mm -hmm. And Anne fought hard to win the Democratic nomination and then ultimately to win against a Republican opponent Mm -hmm. to become the state treasurer. Now, let's get this straight. She is divorced. She is a woman. She is a liberal. She's a recovering addict. She was a teacher, and she's like a soon-to-be grandma. And this macho state votes for this woman to be the state treasurer. And, like, it was shocking to a lot of people because she isn't the Texas image Mm -hmm. that you think of. And she said when she got into that office— 
We on the mic. We always send in women to clean up the mess. <laughs> <laughs> Texas is a huge state, though, so she had to go city to city with no breaks and not as much money as the male candidates to get her point across. Other than New York and California, to run in Texas, you need the most money backing you because it's so large and there's so many important cities. Um, she ran on the platform that she wanted to bring more money into the state and she wanted to open doors for women, minorities, specifically black and Hispanic people to become involved in business of, in the business of economics in Texas. So when she won and became the first woman elected to statewide office in more than 50 years in Texas. That's incredible. Yeah. And in 1986, just a few years later, she was reelected to treasurer without any opposition. Nobody even went up against her because she was so good. She was a popular and proactive treasurer who worked to maximize the return of Texas state investments. When she took office, she said that the department was running like a bank from the 1930s with no investments and no inclusivity. So she brings in minority men and women, black, Hispanic, and just white women as well. And in eight years, she made more money than in the previous 148 years combined. What? Just by opening the door to different people. That's wild. She's an economic genius. I can't even, I, my brain doesn't like comprehend. How do that. you just, how do you just I walk into state know. government and make money? Or isn't everybody always whining about being in debt? How yeah. do you do that? I don't even know if I could do like simple data entry for like an entry level position. And I can't even like, function Excel. All the, why wasn't she president? <laughs> We get to that. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. Well, people say that. She doesn't try to be president, right? But people say a similar thing. Mm -hmm. So it's 1984. Democratic State Convention. Anne gets asked, because she's a state treasurer, to deliver one of the nominating speeches. Because she's probably, honestly, one of the only Democrats in Mm -hmm. the state that can, you know, do a state convention speech. Um, And she gets up and openly criticizes Reagan. This is like the Reagan era. Because remember when he made that, like, I like women comment after, like, trying Uh to push women out of office? She was like, yeah, he likes this in the kitchen. (laughs) Just, like, on the stage. And the renegades don't like that. At the state convention. No, they do (laughs) not. For just a couple years later, then, they ask her to speak at the Democratic National Convention. Like, A woman from Texas is going to take the stage to promote the Democratic presidential candidate in the national spotlight. She's like, I'm going to do it, but there are conditions. When I speak, the cameras are not going to pan off to somebody in the crowd wearing a funny hat. So you're going to turn down the house lights and there's going to be a spotlight on me and everybody will take it seriously. And she said it's like putting a dish towel over a birdcage like everybody focuses and gets quiet. I got a couple of quotes she said during this speech. <laughs> the first being, and these are all about Bush Sr., of course, because mm-hmm. that's the era we're in. Mm-hmm. I'm delighted to be here with you this evening because after listening to George Bush all these years, I figured you needed to know what a real Texas accent <gasps> sounded like. <laughs> then she went on to say, poor George. He can't help it. He was born with a silver foot in his mouth. <laughs> Two women in 160 years is about par for the course. But if you give us a chance, we can perform. After all, Ginger Rogers did everything that Fred Astaire did. She just did it backwards and in high heels. Did she start that quote? No, Because I, no, I know no. we, did, we did Ginger Rogers so yeah. long ago that I literally can't remember 
where that quote came no, from. No, a lot of women have repeated that quote over okay. the years okay. from back when Ginger Rogers was. I think somebody said it about Ginger Rogers in like a newspaper article. Okay. It was something like that. I would have to check facts, but right. it was somebody said it about her and then people started repeating it. Yeah. God, can you remember? We did that so long ago. That was our mm. first season. I know. And I can't remember anything. <laughs> it's like, except the bear. There's a bear yeah. during a birthing <laughs> process. A bear in a cave, and, and a she was married like six times. Yes. <laughs> she just like kept getting married instead of dating people because she had to because it was like the 30s or yeah. whatever. <laughs> After this speech, people said we have the wrong person running for president. <laughs> no, mm. okay. It's impossible to understand how important this speech was. How many people heard it and never forgot? Some people heard it in different countries. People still reference this speech. And it brought her all kinds of publicity. This speech has actually been cited by rhetoric, rhetoric experts as a historically significant speech. And Bush even mentions her critiques of him in um, presidential debates at the White House. Like, so she's doing great. I miss the era of, like, actually good political speeches. I I'm know. feeling a little starved for it. Well, because what what do you mean? Because our two main candidates can't string sentences together? Is that is that it? I can't they're believe a hundred and ten. I can't believe people look at our country and they're like, "Is that the best they have to offer?" That's it. <laughs> that That's the, it. these are the two. Honestly, two. I, no, we can't get into it. Nope. Can't get into it. We did this last week too. Mm-hmm. Um, it's so painful. Let's get in. Let's continue girl i was yearning <laughs> even after this story i was yearning for the bush family back yeah oh my that's God. saying a lot that's saying a lot a lot okay so when the texas governor decided not to run and painted herself as a sensible alternative to the attorney general the expectation is that a woman cannot run for governor in a tough state like Texas. And that was very real. She only had $30,000 and you need maybe a couple million. Oh, yeah. So she got on a boat and went around the coast, stopping in cities along the way, but only like giving speeches from the bow of this ship <laughs> <laughs> to get the southern ones. There, this is a three-way primary. Anne was ahead in most polls, kind of like initially. Maddox is like so scared of her that he's threatening his employees. Like, if I don't win this primary, you'll never work in this state again. They call him the junkyard dog of Texas politics. Yeah. And then Mark is a candidate, kind of a nice guy, but he knew her from her partying days and they all went after her dirty. And she said, I came out to play with the big boys. Like, I get it. (laughs) So Maddox and Mark start accusing her of doing. Not just being addicted to alcohol, but doing, like, intravenous drugs. And they keep accusing her on TV and accusing her on TV and accusing her on TV and saying, we have evidence. And she never actually answers this. She just keeps saying, my addiction was alcohol. My addiction was alcohol. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think there's a little bit there. If she had said no and they did come out with evidence of, like, a photo of her at a party where cocaine was or something like that, like, or heroin, like, then she looks like a liar. Mm-hmm. But also, like, you can't say yes either at this time right. in history. Like, yes, and I'm over it. Because mm-hmm. um, it's super duper illegal. Mm-hmm. So she just keeps doing that. And she's like, you know what's funny? That nobody asked me about drugs when I was in charge of the billions of dollars <laughs> I brought into Texas. Yeah. 
So she started fighting back. She was like, maybe Maddox needs rehab for his meanness. And how does Mark have that million dollar house when we all saw what he made last year from the state? Like she starts to throw daggers as well. And then the boys make a critical mistake. They start making TV commercials bragging about how many people they put on death row. Oh. Because obviously Texas, big supporters of the death penalty. Mm-hmm. But it also doesn't look very respectful. And in a lot of cases, people who support the death penalty also like kind of respect death in a different way. Same yeah. way as like gun owner. There's a lot of gun owners that are very responsible and respect guns. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. so it's like people were like, that looks really bad. And it turned people off to voting for these two guys. So she yeah. won the Democratic primary. Wow. So now she is the Democratic candidate for uh, governor against the Republican nominated friend of the Bushes, multimillionaire Clayton Williams from Fort Stockton. Never heard of him. Yeah. You said Clayton. Wait, Clayton. Clayton with an N? Yeah, Clayton, Clayton. Williams. Okay. And anytime the uh, you can tell he's a good old boy. Because anytime <laughs> the other politicians talk about him, they're like, Clady this and Clady that. He's a Bobby Newport. Ugh. I feel yes. like that's what's happening. He's here. A Bobby Newport. <laughs> that's Bobby exactly Newport right. versus Leslie Nope. <laughs> and uh Clayton is running on like a cowboy campaign. He's got pictures of himself riding bulls and like doing all the Texas things. And what I learned about Texas is there's this invisible vote called the Bubba vote, Bubba. which is like the you got the guys that are fishing, that are hunting, that are out there in the wilderness on the ranches. It's like you gotta go, you have to make sure you secure the Bubba vote. Okay. And um, he had them. You know, he has the upper hand. Mm-hmm. But he also is patronizing her a lot on camera. So, you know, people in Texas tend to be respectful to women, mm-hmm. at least in public. Mm-hmm. Behind closed doors, not mm-hmm. always the same. Um, and the race was cast perfectly. He's a cowboy. She's the little lady. He gets on camera and says, I'm going to head her and hoof her and drag her through the dirt as if she's cattle. Whoa. Bubba forgives that. Then he bragged about going to Mexico and um, sitting around while sex workers service him. What? Bubba forgives that. Then he took some reporters to a campground while they're sitting around a fire. He says, quote, rape is like the weather. If it's inevitable, just relax and enjoy it. Clayton Williams running for governor of Texas. And people are like fine, fine with him saying it. That is, I mean, we have a pro- I, 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 question because I can't even say anything because the last president literally had said similar things and we, and it, he, he got elected president. Mm-hmm. Like, this is so mm-hmm. outrageous. I wish Anne was alive to comment on, <laughs> on our last president. So Bubba forgave all of that. It was like, okay, you might lose people here and there, but you still get the people who are like, oh, he's just messing around, around the campfire, just having a good time. He doesn't mean it. Ranch talk. But then they're at like this convention and he walks by her. He calls the cameras over and they're having just whatever, a passing conversation. She reaches out to shake his hand and he turns around and walks away without (gasps) shaking her hand. Excuse me? And it's on TV and it's like, he's scared to death of her you know and that type of behavior might fit with a male candidate in texas like i'm bigger than you i'm better than you but not against her it didn't work well Mm -hmm. 
And then he got on TV, he did early voting, and they start asking him how he voted for Proposition 1. And he said, what's that one again? And they said, didn't you already vote? And he said, yeah, I just voted right down the ticket. And then he made the joke, I just voted for whoever my wife told me to. And Ann Richards said, maybe the wrong Williams is running for office. <laughs> This is literally Bobby Newport. I know. Haunting his ignorance. Yes. Like, the writers it. of that show had to they know. Had to that know stuff about like this, this I'm sure, had to. Yes. I mean, this happened in the late 80s, you know? Like, they had to have known about it. This is bananas. It's crazy. So. It's starting to look really, really bad. So Bush Sr. and the coach of the Dallas Cowboys and Barbara all come in to campaign for him. He's got everybody in Texas trying to help him out. And then they start questioning him about his income taxes. And he's like, of course I pay my taxes. Of course I pay my taxes. And he's like, I could fit all my tax documents that I've paid in the back of a Mack truck. So Ann Richards sends a Mack truck <laughs> to his <laughs> office. <laughs> and, of course, just to, like, prank him and be like, put something in there. And then he's finally at, like, um, getting questioned by reporters. And he's like, I pay my taxes all the time, except for, what, 86, honey? And, like, looks back and, like, openly says he didn't pay taxes. And that's when the people in Texas were like, no. We're done. Like, come on. Come on. He's like, and it was 1986 when he also, like, gave $10,000 to this other political campaign but, like, didn't pay his taxes. And it just, he, smear campaign. I mean, starts. People are <sighs> crazy about it. So, and won the election. <laughs> um, she oh. won 49% of the vote to 47, and the Libertarian Party got three, which are probably the people who go, just not that woman. Yep. I'd mm. vote for a woman. I just don't want to vote for that, that woman. woman. So she becomes the first woman governor in Texas since Marion Ma Ferguson, who took over like when her husband died. Oh, okay. So it was like not like an official. Mm -hmm. Okay. It was official. Like people still had yeah. to vote her in, but her husband died and she kind of usurped the office. Yeah. She walks in day one with the quote, new Texas blueprint for everybody to follow. We're going to put drug and alcohol treatments in prison and everybody has to take it before they're released. The system worked. It got violent crime or like re go into prison down 15 to 25% per year that she was doing it. Unbelievable that, you know, prison is supposed to rehabilitate people. Like surprise! the idea. <laughs> and that's just pure punishment. I know. <laughs> she would not work with insurance companies that were gouging the state on insurance um, because there were like a lot of people who get into politics uh, have relationships with big money people. Mm -hmm. Insurance is a big money industry. So sometimes they will gouge the state because it's their buddy. Mm -hmm. So she's like, no, I don't care whose friend you are. Yeah. We're not using you. Mm -hmm. um, while she was governor, her prison reform, like I was saying, reduced the number of violent crime offenders and increased space in prison. She backed proposals to reduce uh, the sale of semi-automatic rifles in Texas oh. uh, and what she called cop killer bullets, which the police officers asked her. We'll talk about that in a minute. Okay. Okay. The Texas lottery was instituted during her governorship, and she used it to supplement school finances mm. to bring money to them. She made school finances one of her main issues and worked to make school funding equitable, which is hard in a huge state like that. She was a super hard worker for the lobby and for the people. 
And the lobby wins most of the time in America, mm -hmm. lobbyists. But with Anne, the people won mm -hmm. a lot. Mm -hmm. She also worked to correct the Texas homosexual conduct laws, making sodom trying to make sodomy not a crime. Mm -hmm. Now, this piece actually does look pretty bad for Anne because there is a sexual deviant law, gay sexual deviant law that comes across her desk and she doesn't veto it, which makes her look very anti-gay. Yeah. But if she vetoed it, the original law would stay in place, the sodomy yeah. law. So okay. it was like a step in the right direction. But if you but look it at looked it, wrong. it looks very bad if you mm -hmm. look at that moment exclusively. And I could be woefully ignorant about this. Like mm -hmm. if there were other options that other people know about, like yeah. Anne is a person who could have many flaws. And I don't know if, you know, like mm -hmm. bigotry is one of them. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. You know what I just thought about too? Because yeah. she didn't remarry yet, right? She doesn't remarry. She doesn't remarry. Mm -hmm. So, like, also, she's a single woman. Oh, yeah. Doing all. Like, that's uh -huh. really cool. It's so <laughs> cool. <laughs> so then the Queen of England's going to visit America. And okay. QE2 looks around the country and she's like, I want to go meet Anne in Texas. <laughs> so, they both have the white hair. They, they really match. We could share <laughs> beauty tips. They match up well. They match up well. Um, and, you know, it's one of the things where. Anne was like, this is really weird. So my mom always said when I had to go do chores, I want it clean like the Queen of England's coming over. <laughs> Did your parents ever say anything like that? Yeah. And she was like, whenever I was dressed to go out, my mom would say, who are you going to see? The Queen of England? And she's like putting on her outfit thinking, oh, my God, <laughs> I'm going to see the Queen of England. And, of course, they meet. It's lovely. And then QE2 in her speech says, lesser mortals are pitied for not being from Texas. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Lizzie. Lizbeth. Um, okay. Before we move on, there are two things I heard her say during the documentary that I think are important that I think happened during her governorship. One, people ask, asked her, where did you find that black woman? And she said, it's not that hard. Smart black Wait. women what black woman so she would hire black women and oh, like okay. men of like different races and they'd right, be like just oh, trying to make it more diverse right like where did you find that black woman that talented black woman and she would be like they are not rare creatures right. <laughs> like <laughs> this is live here right like a lot of talented black women live in texas so like she was very openly on the mic being like it is racist just to ask that yeah and um she came out i'll quote my name is Ann Richards, and I am pro-choice, and I vote. Wow. In Texas. Yeah. Ah! Them's fighting words. <laughs> Go for it, Ann. Okay. Bill Clinton is for in the- that, not for us. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're fine with that. Woohoo! <laughs> we'll fight with her. She's yeah. a commander. <laughs> um, Bill Clinton was in this documentary a lot, and he was talking about how she was so funny, but you have to be careful when you're funny because it can be hurtful, mm -hmm. but- it does help to make people vote for me for you. And a lot of her speeches like sounded like she had SNL writers, but really yeah. she's just quirky. <laughs> but then in 1994, she's going to run for reelection. And W is coming oh. to town. <laughs> baby junior. Well, George junior is <sighs> showing up little baby. And George W. Bush and Carl Rove might be the only two people who thought they could beat Anne Richards. Yeah. They had all the special interest money. You know, like, everybody was like, 
get George to governorship, get him to the White House. And that's what they did. It was the start of the Republican takeover of the country for a bit. Mm -hmm. Everybody knew that Ann was a good governor, but he played the the Republican ticket so well. Mm -hmm. And he was also smart. He didn't disrespect her like Mm -hmm. Clayton did. He was a proper Southern boy. He brought up points. He debated with her readily. Um, and he kind of started putting little plugs in people's ears. Is she hard enough on crime? Even though the crime rates were going down, people were like, oh, women aren't as strong as men on crime. And he would say things like, I don't feel safe in my state. Neither do the people of Texas. And then they start thinking it. And Anne one time was like, Boy, he talks about Texas. I don't know why he wants to live here. <laughs> like, he sounds like he hates it. And also, it didn't help that Bill Clinton, as president, who they felt like stole the election from his dad, is not a shining star of the country right now. Right. It's 94, yeah. so this is bad. She questioned his credentials. People couldn't believe that she was going to struggle to beat him. But anytime he needed money, he called daddy. He had every TV commercial. He had every game. They were playing catch up the whole time, Mm -hmm. catching up to George W. Bush. And then Karl Rove did one of the things that he is so famous at, and that's his whisper campaign, like deliberately distorting truths. Mm -hmm. And one of them came with guns. She's going to take your guns. Oh. That is the, I mean. It's so frustrating. (laughs) And also, like, the thing about Anne is that, so the first day of, like, elections, all the candidates go out and shoot a dove, like, dove hunting season. Mm -hmm. They go out and do it. She brought her own gun to come out, shoot a dove. Bush had to borrow one. (laughs) She brought her own gun. She loves sporting with guns. She just voted against concealed weapons because the police office Mm -hmm. asked her Mm -hmm. to vote against concealed weapons. And the NRA had a field day saying that she is going to take your guns away. The tizzy that is caused by anyone even uttering those words against these fanatics, because I don't want to lump all gun owners in the same boat. No, no. My grandfather was a hunter. He was so like. And a police officer. Like, he was so incredibly careful with everything that he did. Like, and it is frustrating to then see people just like being so, like, they should just be everywhere. Like, I hated. All right, we're getting off topic. Yeah. I can't get into this. Yeah. It's crazy. Everybody knows how we feel and how you feel. (laughs) (laughs) It's, um, but then Rogue goes one step farther and she's not remarried. Starts putting little flyers under church windshields. Why do you think Anne's not remarried? Why do you think she has so many lesbian supporters? So start plugging it in people's heads that she's a lesbian. And Anne hoped for a misstep in the Bush campaign, but it just didn't happen. He's too practiced and from too, like, solid of a political family. He has too good of a team. His team's perfect. Yeah. Yeah, they know exactly what to do, where they are, and what to look out for. Like, yeah, they're just like the other guy. He just he literally thought just because he was a white male from Texas, he could win. W knew better. He's, he's like, he's better to be perfect. Exactly. Fuck, this is so frustrating. I know. <laughs> so she was defeated, to say the least, in the 1994 election, um, and the Republicans start taking back the country. 
Um, but she did say she was looking forward to something new, but she didn't really know what she was going to do. She was single and was only governor for one term. She doesn't have a dual family income. She was living in the governor's mansion, so she didn't have a house. She didn't have a car. She didn't have a job. Some people run for office, a lot of men and, and women, but run for office and that's their life. They take that office and then the Congress or like the House of Reps and then the Senate and then they do it the rest of their life. Ten terms, eight terms, you know what I mean? And she just didn't have that option. So she leaves and she starts looking for work and she starts getting like consulting jobs at law offices to be like a liaison between the normal public and the lawyer so she can explain to them what the documents mean. Uh, she went out to help any candidate that was 100% pro-choice. She would show up on their path mm-hmm. to victory. I saw her actually on this one talk show where she's talking about abortion, women's health, women's choice, and this other woman cuts her off and is like, "We've been. let's talk about something other than abortion. We've talked too much about this. And she says, I haven't even started. <laughs> to talk about this yet and like just cuts her back off and keeps going like what a rock star Mm -hmm. by 2001 Anne was a senior advisor to communications firm strategy inc in austin and new york and she was on the senior advisory for the international law firm like i said one of her daughters is the president of planned parenthood that was in 2006 and demonstrated interest in social causes after her time as governor in equality and women's health choice and women's rights. She was a tireless campaigner for female and male Democratic candidates who wanted to make a big difference. At one time, she was on John Kerry's long list to be vice president, but she never made his short list. She's worked at a couple universities, lecturing, being on the board of trustees, etc., etc., She was diagnosed in 2004 with a bone density problem that then she could change with diet. And then she went into this whole women public health campaign like later in life. In 2005, she taught a class called Women in Leadership at the University of Austin. Um, But in 2006, Richard disclosed that she had been diagnosed with um, like cancer of the throat. Oh, and. Her, like, early life alcohol and tobacco exposure put her at major, major risk. And she said when she announced the diagnosis, I smoked like a chimney and drank like a fish before I went to the alcohol treatment clinic. Mm -hmm. She was one of the first people who openly talked about alcoholism as a politician, like, from the 70s to the 2000s, openly about her struggle with alcohol. You know, I was just listening to the news today and they were talking about how, you know, the opioid crisis is so bad. And part of the problem is that people who have family members or friends who suffer from addiction and and die from it, they don't have any support because it's like, well, it was their fault. Like they chose that lifestyle. Yeah, that is still such like the rhetoric today. And it's so sad. And so like the families then spiral into depression. Mm -hmm. And then it's like it just perpetuates the and I just wish that. You know, you and I know so many people who have struggled with this, died from it, gotten better from it. And it's Mm -hmm. like, it's so hard to see, like, people just being so disparaging against people with, you know, 
addiction and it's just so hard I think both the person who's recovering and the family and friends struggle with the constant what if question yeah what Mm -hmm. if I had done this better what Mm -hmm. if I had done that better when it's like that's not like it's nobody's fault that Mm -hmm. this is occurring Mm -hmm. um I that's the number one thing like my number one takeaway from Matthew Perry's book that I read last year is like his entire book is so angry because he's just what if Mm-hmm. I hadn't have done this one thing or that one thing. Like mm-hmm. it would have changed everything. So I don't know. This is a, she became like a, a public like spokesperson for addiction. Yeah. Which is amazing. I mean, it's shocking too, because I would never have thought that of like, you know, <laughs> let alone a woman wanting running for governor. Yeah. It's like, it's, I don't know. She has a lot of like contra like contradictions about her, which I love. Yeah, she does. The city of Austin officially changed the name of one of its bridges to be named after her. And there is an Ann Richards School of Young Women Leaders in Texas. She was, as you said, on an episode of King of the Hill. She it was in Disney's Home on the Range, the movie. In 2008, there was a documentary called W, uh, w about his campaign called Miss Big Mouth, Big Hair. Rude. Okay. Rude. <laughs> there's, one, there's a one-woman show. Um... I think in Austin called Anne, an affectionate portrait of Anne Richards. The documentary I watched came out in 2012. Again, you can get it on YouTube. There is a rock opera about her life that's performed in Houston, Texas, started in 2019. But she did die of cancer at her home in Austin on September 13th, 2006, at the age of 73. Mm. So young. Mm. She, at her funeral, was called one of the most colorful politicians in modern U.S. history. And her granddaughter stood up and said this. My grandmother always used to say, this is your life. It's the only one you've got. So no regrets and no do-overs. My grandmother was the very best woman she could be every day. Mm. There were 13 memorial services held in her honor. And her remains were interned at the state capitol where people could visit. And people visited for the weeks that it was there and laid their recovery chips on her coffin. God, we just had a Patreon conversation about, like, what we wanted. That is such a good, like, because you don't ask for things. No. Like, people just know and they do it. That is so lovely to hear. Yeah. Mm. So that's the story of Anne Richards, <laughs> a goddess. Oh, like, God. She's so cool. From one episode of King of the Hill, I learned about the I coolest <laughs> liberal Texan that I've ever heard of. That's so awesome. Well, that's What's so funny because when you texted me, you're like, did you mean this Anne Richards when you put her on the list? And I was like, yes, that one. <laughs> and I was like, okay. Because at that point, I had only, well, also, like, her birth name is Dorothy. It's Dorothy Ann Richards. Mm-hmm. So I was, like, wanting to make sure. <laughs> um, but at that point, I had only, like, skimmed the Wikipedia. Yeah. And I was like, this is not fun. <laughs> <laughs> and then I watched the documentary, and I was like, oh, this is so fun. <laughs> Correction. One star to the Wikipedia Five stars to the documentary. <laughs> Sorry, Typical. Wikipedia. Usually I like you, but this was rough. <laughs> All right, let's go get more All drinks. All right, let's do it. We're back. Back. There's ice cream. There's ice cream in your cup. Nice. This is going to be a very sweet week for our friends. I know. Um, So do you want to know 
what you're drinking. So much. So this cocktail is called Eho Mai Kaike. And it is silver rum, mm-hmm. pineapple juice, mm-hmm. orange liqueur, mm-hmm. orgiat syrup, cream of coconut, and you pour the whole thing over vanilla ice cream. And, oh, and you top it with ginger ale. Yeah. Stop there. I love it. Mm. It's so many Hawaiian ingredients. So many Hawaiian ingredients. It's tasty. It's sweet. There's ice cream, so it's like mm-hmm. foamy. It is a fun little drink. <laughs> Bring a spoon tonight. Mm-hmm. Wherever um. you're drinking this, Miss Krista and Mr. Krista. I should have put like some like I should have put like a spice in here, like cardamom or mm. cinnamon or something. I feel like that would have really set it off. But it's still good. Yeah, it's good. Put it's something good. on the top. Yeah. Sprinkle a little something. something. <laughs> so what do you know about Edith Kanakaole? I mean, I know she's Hawaiian. Mm-hmm. I talked about Texas. You may as well talk about Hawaii. Mm-hmm. Here we go. <laughs> Let's go. State of the Union. <laughs> so there wasn't a whole lot on her. One article written by Shay Dawson on the National Women's History Museum website was super, super helpful. So thank you, Shay, for your article. And again, the rest is from Wikipedia. <laughs> oh, and I got some from like, um, I talk a lot about hula. Um, and so I got some from like the Merry Monarch Festival website and stuff like that. So that was also a big help. So Edith, Keiko, Kiko, Upu, Uoneo. Nali Ioko Halakeneo was born on October 30th, 1913 in Honomu on the Hamakua coast of Hawaii on the Big Island. Spotless. Thank you. I'm doing, I think, better with this than I did with Agnes Varda. <laughs> like the French. Because I was like, I have to just like break it up so I can like try and do what sound, we can. Yeah, do what I can to like not sound like an asshole. Um, but yes. So I was really trying to, like, do right by this pronunciation. <laughs> she was one of 12 children of Mary Kelly Ikuewa Ahiena and John Kanae Leolua Lakaike Neo. Both of her parents were also born on the Big Island, but the two grew up on separate sides of it, eventually meeting halfway to start their family, which Aww. is so cute and romantic. Her childhood in Honamu was quite active. She spent days at the beach or the river catching fish with her family. Her father was a musician who both sang and played a variety of instruments. Some of John's specialties included the harp, the violin, and the guitar. He could play anything, but of course loved traditional Hawaiian music. And her mother, Mary, taught hula. Hula, of course, is a type of native Hawaiian dance that often tells a story. Hula performances vary in style, with some being accompanied by chants and or music of all different tempos. So whether more ancient or modern in style, hula is meant to connect dancers to their Hawaiian ancestral knowledge. And this ancestral knowledge was very important to Edith's parents because they had experienced the Western expansion and economic takeover of their land. Discriminatory policies were ushered in, and many aspects of traditional culture became prohibited. I mean, teaching the Hawaiian language and performing hula were suddenly illegal in their homeland. (laughs) No! (laughs) Hawaii's last monarch, Queen Liukalani, who we've covered, attempted to preserve sacred lands and traditional cultural practices, but her efforts were largely prevented by non-native businessmen. United States imperialism continued to threaten and attempted to erase the cultural livelihood of Native Hawaiians 
well into the 1900s and obviously like we're still seeing the remnants of that now um so edith grew up with a rich knowledge of hawaiian history and a keen knowledge of the threats that it faced and her growing up with such a great knowledge of her native culture it was kind of rare for the time because again it was like so policed um so as far as traditional schooling went edith often joked that she stopped at seventh grade and a half oh man <laughs> and she dropped out uh she didn't finish you know regular school but she would actually become famous for her thirst um for knowledge she focused though on the things that she felt mattered more such as the native hawaiian language culture and hula so throughout her teens and early 20s she studied hula under hula master or kumahula akoni mika so on january 21st 1933 she married luca kanaka ole and the couple would have six children and would be one of the early families to move to keaukaha which was a homestead set aside by the government for native hawaiians and just like her mother, Edith cherished her Hawaiian culture and made sure to share it with her children. She also kept performing hula, eventually touring all over the mainland United States, Canada, and various countries in Asia. So she took hula globally because she wanted people to experience what it was really like. Edith was also a talented composer who created various Hawaiian chants, traditionally called oli. So these were sometimes set to music, but other times they were just used in collaboration with the hula she was creating. Edith really cherished this craft, and she believed oli to be at the core of Hawaiian history, culture, and identity. So she began composing oli in 1946, and then in 1947 she also started composing songs. Then her mother passed away, so Edith decided that she needed to expand her mission, so she opened up a hula school in honor of her mother. Formed at the beginning of what would be called the Hawaiian Renaissance, she was able to use all of her years of training to teach those who wished to learn hula. She named her school Halau o Kekuhi. The name refers to a colorful fish called a flying gonard. Edith originated a distinct style of hula derived from the traditions of the Hilo area, in which dancers perform with their deeply bent knees, and they make very dynamic movements. She taught this style to her children and then her other students at Halau o Kekuhi. So we mentioned before that Edith was established, um, Edith established her school at the beginning of the Hawaiian Renaissance. This was a cultural movement of the 60s and 70s where Native Hawaiians really decided to take back their cultural heritage and celebrate it after such a long period of it being repressed. This period of increase in Hawaiian self-identity was inspired by the 1964 essay On Being Hawaiian by writer John Dominus Holt IV, who brought pride back to being Hawaiian after decades of just negative stereotypes and people trying to, like, push it down well i love that you just said like she ran around the world doing hula to show yeah. people what it really was mm -hmm. because it's so often mimicked yes in like very like i wouldn't say like derogatory ways but like they simplify it to be sexy and like, like it's cartoonish a, yes exactly mm -hmm. and it's like it is an actual like style of dance actually yes. like a cultural dance yeah exactly and it'd be one thing if it were like ballet is sometimes you know cartoonized sure you know yeah. and like you know made fun of or whatever but it's also but it's respected also respected yeah that's the difference big difference like i was watching videos of these hula dancers like preparing for competitions and 
the things that they were describing and like the way that they were treating their feet and their legs and their body. I was like, they're doing the same thing that like ballet dancers do, but they don't get half, not even, I mean, a not quarter, even a little bit of the, of the credit. credit. Yeah. yeah. Because people think that it's just like, I mean, we'll get into it. We'll just get into move it. your hips. And That's not what it arms. is. <laughs> um, Another cornerstone of the movement was the establishment of the Merry Monarch Hula Festival. This festival honors King David Kalakaua, who was called the Merry Monarch for his patronage of the arts. And he is credited with restoring many Hawaiian cultural traditions during his reign, including hula. The Merry Monarch Festival is the premier showcase of the art of hula. And the greatest honor is the Miss Aloha Award. This is granted to a solo female dancer, but there are also group competitions for men and women. During their performances, um, halau and individuals, so halau are the groups, um, are judged in a variety of categories. So first there is the entrance, or the kai, during their chant, oli, and dance, hula. Judges look for interpretation of the song being performed, expression of the hula, chant or song, posture, precision, hand gestures, feet, and body movement, grooming, and authenticity of the costume and adornments. And then finally, there's the exit offstage, or the hoi. Performers are, sco- are scored on each aspect of the performance. And again, if you have only seen hula performance at a hotel or on TV, I would highly recommend checking out videos from the festival. You get such a sense of how important it is and how difficult it is. I mean, hula dancers work so hard to make those subtle movements look absolutely seamless. Mm. And like we're saying with a lot of styles, including the one that Edith put forward, the knees are almost always bent and the back has to stay, stay up and straight and they're dancing barefoot. So foot pain and calluses are abundant. And like I was watching this video and this girl goes, all hula dancers have bad knees because oh, we are yeah. crouching the entire I'm sure. time. Yeah, hula dancers and skateboarders. They, yeah. Their <laughs> knees are <laughs> ruined. <laughs> hula dancing is complex with many hand motions used to represent the words in a song or chant. For example, hand movements can signify aspects of nature, such as the swaying of a tree in the breeze or a wave in the ocean or feeling or emotion such as fondness or yearning. Many hula were created to praise the chiefs and performed in their honor or for their entertainment. Some were created to tell war stories or share histories. Others are considered to be a religious performance or they are dedicated to or honoring a Hawaiian goddess or god. And there are also various legends surrounding the origins of hula. According to one legend, Laka, goddess of the hula, gave birth to the dance on the island of Molokai at a sacred place in Ka'ana. After Laka died, her remains were hidden beneath the hill Pu'unana. Another story tells of uh, Hi- Hi'iaka, who danced to appease her fiery sister, the volcano goddess Pele. This story locates the source of the hula on Hawaii in the Puna district at the Ha'aena shoreline. And the ancient hula Ke Ha'a Puna describes this event. So this is one of the examples of like, a specific hula telling this specific story. Um, And then another story is when Pele, the goddess of fire, was trying to find a home for herself, running away from her sister, Namakeo Kahai, 
the goddess of the oceans, uh, when she finally found an island where she couldn't be touched by the waves. There, at a chain of craters on the island of Hawaii, she danced the first dance of hula, signifying that she finally won. I like that version. (laughs) (laughs) And I know that this story is starting to sound less about Edith the person and more about General Hula, but I think that she would have wanted us to talk about it because Edith's great mission in life was to share knowledge. So much so that she became a professor at the Hawaii Community College. She taught there from 71 to 79 and then at the University of Hawaii at Hilo from 73 to 79. Her courses and seminars were on a variety of topics, uh, Hawaiian chants, myths, genealogy, Polynesian history, land ownership, and ethnobotomy. Don't know that word. Um, <laughs> that has to be about plants, right? Yeah, it sounds like like ethnobotany. So like I guess like native plants. Yeah, yeah, yeah it has to be. Um, then in an effort to reach wider audiences, she helped create a Hawaiian language program for a public school in Hilo um, called the Keokaha School. And this was really important to her because the Hawaiian language had been dying out for mm. quite some time. The number of Hawaiian language speakers had decreased significantly after Hawaii became a state, and the state legisl- legislature had even banned the speaking of Hawaiian in schools. That's ridiculous. I mean, if students were found speaking the language, they were literally punished. Mm-hmm. It wasn't good. Um, efforts to reinvigorate the language worked, and as of 2020, there are over 20 language immersion schools that exist in Hawaii. The number of speakers has increased thanks to these schools, and though UNESCO still considers the language critically endangered. Mm. Another one of Edith's prominent endeavors was her assistance with the Imua Project. This would eventually be renamed the Hawaiian Studies Kupuna Program for Hawaiian Public Schools. So this program was all about bringing elders, or kupuna, into all public schools to teach Hawaiian youth about their culture. And Edith took up the task of interviewing elders who were interested in joining the program. So she would literally find these people who, like, wanted to, like, teach the youth about their culture. And she would screen them and interview them and prep them and then send them off to every single public school in Hawaii. And this is just a general program that she helped with. Edith had been doing such good work for so long, and she was eventually recognized for her work. She represented Hawaii at the second South Pacific Festival of the Arts in Ratora, New Zealand in 76. The State Association of Hawaii Civic Clubs named her Hawaiian of the Year in 77. Wow. (laughs) Two years later, she received the Award of Distinction for Cultural Leadership from the Governor of Hawaii. The Order of Ke Ali'i Pauahi from Kamehameha Schools and was named a living treasure of Hawaii. (laughs) I want to be a living treasure. (laughs) I want to be a living treasure of, like, back alley Baltimore. Anything. In 1978 and 79, she won Na Hoku Hanohano Awards for Best Traditional Album. Her acceptance speech for the first award was entirely in the native Hawaiian language. But unfortunately, she was not able to accept her second award because she passed away from cancer at the age of 65 on October 3rd, 1979. After her death, the Honolulu Star Bulletin described her as one of the Big Island's most cherished educators. 
1990, the Edith Kanakaole Foundation was established to perpetuate teachings by Edith and her husband. A building at the University of Hawaii at Hilo is named after her, and so is the stadium, which hosts the Merry Monarch Festival every year. Then in 2023, the U.S. Mint announced that Edith would be one of five women represented on quarters that year. The chant that Edith composed, entitled Eho Maika Ike, is the inscription on the back of her commemorative coin. This phrase translates to granting the wisdom, which is both indicative of her wealth of knowledge and her dedication to imparting her wisdom in the name of uplifting Native Hawaiian narratives and traditions. The quarter features Edith's face. She's wearing the traditional hakule on her head, and her long hair is flowing and turns into the mountain scenery of Hawaii. Pretty good for someone who only finished seventh and a half grade. (laughs) (laughs) Her granddaughter still runs the hula school today, and people all over Hawaii routinely honor her legacy. Edith worked tirelessly throughout her life to bring people together, and her medium was her Hawaiian heritage. Mm. She wanted Hawaiians to be proud of themselves again, and she wanted non-Hawaiians to see past the gorgeous landscape and the gorgeous people and just, like, see them for actual human beings that live there and not just tourist attractions. Yeah. She once said, We're all a part of one family. We all work together to solve problems. When we find time to contribute, return comes back to us tenfold. Mm -hmm. And that really was her mission. And that is the life of Edith Kanaka Ole. (laughs) What? (laughs) Like, what a pleasure to know about her. I know. I'd never heard of her before. Until the reason I put her on the list was I saw that her on a quarter. Right. And I was like, this is a beautiful quarter. <laughs> yeah, all the list of the, those quarters that came out are just, like, really great. Yeah, they're amazing. And they did a wonderful job, like, choosing women from all different types of backgrounds to really represent different parts of America. Like, I very much appreciate it because like, <laughs> even our men aren't celebrated on quarters like that because it's all presidents mm-hmm. and they're, barring Barack Obama, yep. all white men. Yep. <laughs> all right, well, I think we need to talk about these two women together. In a little segment we like to call Just the Two of Us. I love that we both ended the story talking about their granddaughters. Mm. I think the the legacy and the power that you have as one woman is not only on the community around you, which both Edith and Anne. Is Edith her preferred name? Is that what she went by? Yeah, that was her first name. Mm -hmm. That both Edith and Anne, like impacted their community they also like left a legacy of warriors underneath of them which is so cool absolutely well because i felt like their whole like both of them their mission in life was to educate people you know i mean i feel like Anne was educating the people of texas like that they don't have to be stereotypes Mm -hmm. and just like edith is doing the same thing with like telling the world that like not all hawaiians are like there for your pleasure like we're actually a whole group of people with our own culture it's like Anne was also telling the people of texas that like you don't have to be a gun-toting women bat woman bashing texan right like, you can to be, carry guns responsibly right? it's like <laughs> you can be more than that while also holding what you take pride in intact and like that's what bothered me so much about her story is like 
they are like it kind of felt like people were like you're not a real texan like and you want to like ruin texas and she's like i love this place like yeah what are you talking about that i want to ruin it like i don't know it's just like but again it's like i felt like they were both battling against like the stereotypes that were inflicted upon their states yeah texas and hawaii are both very very interesting states mm-hmm. i mean texas you know they are the lone star state because yeah. they wanted to be their own country they did not want to be a part of the united states and they really fought to hold on to that for a very long time and Hawaii, like, rightfully shouldn't be a part of the United States. You know, like, it is a it is a leftover portion of colonialization. I mean, the entire United States is a leftover portion of colonialization, but specifically Hawaii. Mm -hmm. Um, And it is sad that because of not just American colonialization, but also British colonialization that we have lost so much. I mean, the language is endangered. (sighs) We would never we would never do that if we held it dear. never Mm -hmm. and we would never make jokes about raping women if we cared about them Mm -hmm. we don't care yeah so it's a funny caricature yeah yeah and it's just like i don't know just like you're saying it's like it kind of frustrates like you wouldn't be fighting so hard against it if you weren't so scared of it you wouldn't be making just speaking the hawaiian language illegal if you weren't actually scared but like someone is going to challenge your you what you believe is your god-given right to power and like i feel like that's the same thing with like these like men in texas that are like a woman should not have that position like that is my god-given right to like run the state of texas and like that's what that guy that she was in the election against thought like he was like clayton it's again it is it is such a bobby newport thing of like yeah i just should win like that's how it goes and it's like both of these women were just like rewriting this story and be like, no, that's not just how it goes. Like, I'm going to change the narrative. I'm going to encourage people to like look past your bullshit and like experience something else, something true. While being fairly traditional women. (laughs) That's the thing that I think a lot of people think you have to be this wild feminist warrior to make an impact. Mm -hmm. And while that is so critically important, it does not impact your feminist movement to be a mom, to be a homemaker, to be a teacher, to be a dance teacher. Like these are very effeminate things and very important effeminate things. Yeah. Like, Come on. Yeah. Well, and it's so hard because, like, I feel like I've heard a lot of women say, like, well, like, you know, I wish I could be a feminist, but, like, I'm a mom. <laughs> like, what? what? Like, what? <laughs> what? What? What does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> and, like, I just, like, I feel terrible sometimes that, like, so many women feel, like, excluded from the feminist because that's never what it was supposed mm-hmm. to be, you no. know? And, yeah, I just felt like, I mean, Elizabeth Cady Stanton was, like, riddled with kids. Riddled with them. <laughs> she probably had, like, two. You know, her best gal pal just came over and helped out with them. So, like, they could both write into the middle of the night. Like, this is I, what we're still doing today. Yes. <laughs> but I just, I don't know. I also, I wonder if Ann Richards has a quarter, because I think she should. Yeah. Oh, my God. A Ann, politician of a, a, a hero. Ann Richards should be, like, both of these women should, like, I just said it's so messed up. I'm like, I know this Hawaiian woman has a quarter, but like, where is this white woman's quarter? (laughs) (laughs) 
Wait, who was the white woman that went on the quarter? So we there it was Anna Mae Wong, Maya mm-hmm. Angelou, Bessie, they, Bessie Coleman. Sorry, Bessie, Bessie Coleman, Coleman mm-hmm. Edith, mm-hmm. and oh, we're terrible. Let me look them up. I'm gonna find out. I'm gonna find out. Okay, okay. Five women quarters. Um, the white woman was. Let me see if I can figure it out. Not gonna happen. Not gonna happen fast anyway. Oh, wait, here it is. So old. <laughs> I think it's Sally Ride. That yes, it yeah, was definitely Sally. Ride. It's it's Sally Ride. It's wi- okay. So the original set was Maya Angelou, Sally Ride, Wilma Mankiller. Nina Otero Warren and Anime Wong. So that was the original 2000 and 2022 set. Okay. But there's five every year. Yeah. That's I'm pretty. We have done almost all the women of that first set. Yeah. <laughs> pretty exciting. Um, but yeah, I just. And it also shouldn't take a quarter for us to know Edith's name. And it shouldn't take a King of the Hill episode for us to know Anne's. That is another thing that kind of really struck me about both of these stories. It's like, I would, I would literally never know who Anne was if it wasn't for that episode. And I wouldn't know who Edith was if, if I didn't love looking at quarters. And do you know I what? I do love it. Ugh, money is great. Do you know what <laughs> else is even... <laughs> crazy? Do you know, like, do you have a quarter collection? I have a cash collection right there. Oh, Jake moved it. I have <laughs> Right there. It's not there. I do. Yes, I have a lot of coins. I have coins. Okay. But like, do you like, like, because, all right. I, I used, keep the quarters that I, the women quarters I find. Okay. Because I used to do that at Atwater's. Mm. I would um like take the quarters out that I thought were cool and I would put them up on the <laughs> register so I could Cute. look at them all day. Nice. Because I loved them. Um, Will I ever put, no, I don't put, I obviously cash them in at some point, but like, I do love them. I just think they're so beautiful you should make a little quarter display i should have a quarter display why not because i love them i don't where would i put it i don't know you've got you have such an art gallery in your house you may as well just throw them up there just start <laughs> scotch taping them doesn't matter <laughs> stella's just gonna knock them down anyway that's true so just put them there and then maybe she'll eat one and then she'll be like a million dollar pup mm, maybe she'll become internet famous <laughs> she ate the <laughs> edith kind of got all quarter there you go um but yeah, I thought these women were both great and living in states with heavy stereotypes and seriously, just seriously working against them. I know. I love them for it. You know what? If you scare the bushes, <laughs> you scare somebody. And the Dole Pineapple Company. Right. <laughs> right. People are terrified. Damn. I just thought about how fucked up it is that I use Dole Pineapple juice. In this hey, cocktail. that's fine. I'm we're sorry, protesting guys. it. Okay. Yeah. yeah. All right. Are you ready <laughs> you to, like toast? to toast? So I am going to deliver a toast that Anne delivered in one of her last uh, speeches. She was coughing kind of heavily during the speech because Mm. she had been diagnosed with cancer. Mm. And it is just like she is, funny and brash. May you have as much money as a Republican and as good of a sex life as a Democrat. (laughs) Cheers! I want to toast the women who want to share knowledge. I just love that Edith didn't let her, like, lack of a formal education stop her from, like, teaching at 
a university. Like she's like a college professor and she didn't make it to high school. And I just love people who are so dedicated and have a broader idea of what knowledge is because I think that that stops a lot of people and it just didn't stop her. Perfect. I love it. Fight for it. Cheers. All right. What are you enjoying in pop culture this week? Tonight, I would really like to make a statement about red starbursts. I think they're better than pink starbursts. And I think that pink starbursts have gotten so popular Mm -hmm. that everybody talks about how good they are, Uh and they forget to taste the dark red one. Even the light red one, better than the pink ones. I need everybody to stop what they're doing, get off of your little, like, propaganda pink starburst brain. And remember how good red Starbursts are. I'm so angry about it. From your lips to God's ears. (laughs) And by God's ears, I mean mine. (laughs) I have been on the red Starburst bandwagon for years. I have always preferred them over the pink. The pink is garbage compared. Come on. The complexity of the cherry. It's so good. It's so (laughs) good. It's so good. (laughs) Then pink lemonade? Are you kidding me? Come on. God, I just I There's need also like a fucked up story behind pink lemonade that we have to do on a Patreon one day. Let's do it. Not today. <laughs> okay, not today. We don't have that today. <laughs> we don't the capacity. Today. <laughs> but no, I just I need to remind people that like you're being tricked right now. You're being tricked. Don't fall into that trap. Well, you know what though? Maybe the trap works better for us because everybody goes after the pink and then all the red are left to us. Yeah, but they started making bags only pink. <gasps> and like. And- Lightning. Shit, the lightning around here. And like like things where you open it and it's only pink starbursts. It's like a little prize. That's not a prize. That's a disaster. Come on. Okay. Everybody is re- reds where the money's at. <laughs> I want to be in the red zone. Wow. Sports. Um, I am going to promote tonight the next season of True Detective Night Country. Oh, man. This season stars Jodie Foster. Okay, a oh, dream come true, so Jody. And do then, I love? I love her nose so much. Yes, and she plays such an interesting character, and I just fucking love her. And then it stars Kali Race. Her last name is R E I S. So I don't know. How- Rice, Rice, Race, Reese, Wise, Maybe Reese, <laughs> Kelly Reese. She is a professional boxer turned actress. Ooh. She's so good. All right. This is only going to make sense to you and I. She's like a person that like our friend June would be friends with. Oh, She's so okay. cool. All these tattoos. Cheek piercings. Oh, little and dimples. And a professional boxer yeah. with cheek piercings. She's too much for me. me. Too much for me. Um, But yeah. And it's like it takes place in Alaska. Mm-hmm. So there is a lot of like commentary on like how – Inuit women are treated mm-hmm. and how their deaths are not investigated. And it also kind of goes into like some of like the spirituality of the region. Hello, Mary. Thanks, Mayor. And um, there's commentary on like the prices of items, which I think a lot of people don't understand. Like we've talked about it on here before, you have but to like ship. it's insane the price of groceries and common goods up there. Goldfish, so, $35. And like the complex relationship between like mining and research and the people that live there and the police and it's like so interesting so true detective night country it is so good 
and Jody and Kali are so good as a duo in this. Excellent. So, well, thank you for listening. Yeah. We appreciate you. We love you. Please join us on social media. If you would like to hang out with us a little bit more, you can join our Patreon for as little as a dollar a month. You can contribute to our ever-growing cocktail fund. Maybe one day we will get banana liqueur and then make Miss Krista buy it. Woo! Um, <laughs> I love pink banana! <laughs> Let's make banana cocktails. But only with your support. Um, and you get to hang out and listen to our other conversations. They're so fun. Um, but you can also, if you don't want to do that, you can just leave us a rate and a review on Apple Podcasts. That would mean the absolute world to us. Um, yeah. And we we'll, love you. We love you. We'll see you next week. See you next week. Women's we, History Month! Women's History Month is beginning. It's so exciting. <laughs> and we don't want you to ever forget that well-behaved women live in states like Kansas and Delaware. <laughs> yeah. And they rarely make history, except for Albie Plaza. <gasps> Good- Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs>listening to her story on the rocks we are independently produced by 1986 entertainment and proudly recorded in baltimore maryland if there's a woman in history you would like us to cover you can email us at herstoryontherocks at gmail.com you can also message us on twitter or instagram we post all of our cocktail recipes on tuesdays so that you can go get all the supplies you need and drink along with us see you next week bye